we have been in a sermon series uh, entitled The Secrets to Living a Victorious Christian Life. And we're going to uh, continue that series tonight and pick up where we left off last week in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles tonight, please open them to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 29 through chapter 5, verse 2. And, but, but before uh, we, we begin reading, I just, I just want to tell you that every time I open the Scripture, every time you open the Scripture, it's an opportunity for change. And I say that it's an opportunity for change because I, I actually have a part in determining if, I'm, if what I'm reading in the scripture will bring change in my life or not. You say, well, Rhea, that's the Holy Spirit's job. No, uh, my openness to what I'm reading and my willingness to, to, uh, to apply it to my life is the beginning uh, of the Holy Spirit's work in, in my life. And, and, and I cooperate with him in, in the transformation process. Are you following me? So as we talked about last week, the Word of God is like a mirror that reflects back to me. It, when I read the Word of God, it reveals to me how I'm living uh, compared to how I should be living. Did you hear that? When I read the Word of God, it reveals to me how I am living as opposed to how I should be living. And we talked in depth about the, the scripture that says that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. We, we've talked about that for several weeks, but I, I just want to revisit that tonight because it's so important that we get this because we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. When I read the word of God, I can study it to be informed or I can study it to be reformed. Are you with me? So uh, our lives get transformed only when we allow our minds to, to not just be informed by what we're reading. There are a lot of Christians that are informed. <laughs> there are a lot of Christians who can quote scripture uh, to us. There, there are a lot of, scripture, of, of Christians who, who, who can really use scripture to, to slam and they're informed. Knowledge puffs up. But they're not reformed. They're not taking that scripture and letting it transform their life and reform their thinking. So when we read God's word and it reveals to us how we should be living, it's important that we, that we, just, that we don't just receive it as information. But instead, that we allow it to begin a reformation in us. A transformation in us. And that only happens that when we allow the truth of what we're reading to renew and permeate our minds. We don't just read for information. We read for transformation. And we spoke last week about Ephesians 24, 22 and how it talked about putting off the old man. And it being a picture of taking off a soiled garment and putting on a clean one. It's a picture of ridding ourselves of old behaviors and old actions. Uh, the, and putting on the, the garment of a new man who looks and acts like Jesus. The new man is a reference to a change in lifestyle, a change in behavior. A picture of conforming to the image of Christ Jesus. And it's a change that the world should be able to see. We should not look like the unbeliever down the street. 
My father-in-law always says to me, Rhea, you can't expect unregenerate behavior from an unregenerate. You can't re expect regenerate behavior from an unregenerate. In other words, don't expect a believer to, to behave. Uh, don't expect an unbeliever to behave like a believer. However, I should be able to expect regenerate behavior from a regenerate. Are you with me? And so uh, we, we need to uh, understand that the world should be able to see this change in us. When we're taking off that old man and we're putting on a new one, when we're taking off a soiled garment and we're putting on a new one, the world should be able to see the difference. We should not look like the unbeliever down the street. Just like if I came here tonight and I was wearing a soiled, stinky garment, you would be able to observe. Jolie could sit here in the front row. Hey, darling. She could be sitting here in the front row and she could smell me. She could see the dirt on me and she would be able to say she's wearing a soiled garment and I'm telling you that's what happens in the world when we put on that old man after we say we're a new man the world can see it who was it uh, was it Nitschke Dave who said uh, mm, I would want your 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 Christ if the Christians looked a little bit more like him and so that is the challenge that we have. And in this passage, Paul was talking to us about that. He's comparing uh, the stinky, soiled garments of the old man with the beautiful garments of the new man. And he's saying, let's, let's point this out. Let me help you understand what those stinky garments that you still like to wear occasionally look like. Because it's time to put those off. And that's where we're picking up tonight in, in Ephesians 4, uh, chapter uh, chapter 4, verse 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but only what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ has also has loved us and given himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Oh, there's so much in there. I, I just, I was tempted to just take part of it again tonight and continue the next part next week, but I, I will get through it. But I want you to see that Paul begins to say, we, we picked up on this last week, that the new man looks different in the way he speaks. We, we read last week that the new man should not be lying. He should not pre be presenting a false self to the people around him and misrepresenting himself. He shouldn't be deceiving. He shouldn't, his words should be truth. So the new man is different in the way he speaks, and, and, and the way we speak is so important. You see, uh, when God created man, he created you and me, in case you're wondering. You're, you're not a decision of your mom and dad. Some of you are here tonight, and, and this is just coming through my spirit, so I'm going to say it, but some of you are here tonight, and you feel like you were an accident, and you've questioned the purpose and the, and the value of your own life, and I'm just here to tell you, you are not here as a result of some man and woman's decision or indecision. You are here because God purposed you. He created you. He knit you together in your mama's womb. If he didn't want you here, dear one, you would not be here. But you have been created 
by God. And we are created in his image and in his likeness. And he is a speaking spirit. Who knows that? That God speaks. In the beginning, God spoke and a universe was created. Oh, words have power. They have creative power. And we see that in God created us in his image and in his likeness. And so because we're created that way, we speak too. And what's, it's what sets us apart from all other creation is that we are speaking spirits. Dogs don't speak. Animals don't speak. They moo, they, they quack, they, they ribbit, they do those kind of things. But they don't speak words. We are a speaking spirit created in God's image. It's one of the ways that we are called to reflect his likeness. Who knows that our purpose here on earth, I'm mindful of this. Who knows that our purpose, the only reason we exist here on earth is to bring God glory. I believe we are here to bring heaven to earth, to, to be conduits of God's glory. That, that we, we are just, uh, we're, I was exercising, not that wasn't recent, <laughs> but, but I was exercising one time in my basement on the treadmill and I happened to look up and see copper pipes and the Lord said to me you are simply a copper pipe those pipes don't exist for any other reason than to be a conduit to carry things through your house to another place and you are a copper pipe for me Rhea you are a conduit and it doesn't matter what you look like I didn't create you to look like you're all that in a bag of potato chips I, I created you to be a conduit of my glory a carrier of my glory and it's not about you. It's not about the outward appearance, Rhea. It is about my glory. You can't stop my glory. I created you to, to be a conduit of it. And so we were created to bring heaven. I believe with all of my heart to bring heaven to earth. I really do. We bring heaven to earth by standing on God's word and speaking his word over people. We, we bring heaven to earth by saying, no, no, I won't tolerate that. That is the enemy right there, and I have the power of God in me, and I'm coming against that thing in the name of Jesus because I am bringing heaven to earth as it is in heaven. It will be here on earth, and I get to be the, the conduit of that. God partners with me in that. He uses my mouth because I'm a speaking spirit. I come into agreement with his word, and I speak that word. And, and he says, that faith is the evidence of things unseen. Do you see that? I don't see it right now, but I'm speaking that thing by faith into being. We're speaking spirits created in his image. But sadly, our mouth, we, we don't always use those words uh, to be a good reflection of him. Sometimes the enemy. That's why Paul started this passage by saying, don't give place to the devil. Do you see that? He's making sure that we understand that God wants to use our mouth, but so does the enemy. And it's up to us not to give place uh, to the devil. And we know from creation that words have power to create. In the beginning, the world was chaos. It was, it was disorder and, and it was dark and formless. And the Bible says that, that, there, that we see that the Trinity, anybody that argues the Trinity, go to Genesis. Uh, you see it evident at, at, at creation where you see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all evident there. And, and the Bible says that the, that the Lord spoke and something came out of nothing. 
That chaos was put into order. Oh, church, you see, if we really got this, if we got the power of our words to speak something out of nothing, to take chaos and speak order back into it because we're speaking the very words of God. Words have power to create. That's why we must watch what we're saying with our words. Dave and I were having a bit of a spat today, and I said something to him, and the Lord said to me, Rhea, your words have the power to create in his life. Watch what you're speaking. Watch what you're speaking. Our words have power. Careless words, idle words still have power. That's why the Bible says we're going to have to give account for every idle word that we speak. So we know from Scripture that our words hold the power of life and death. The Bible says, I think it's in James, that he says, you know, bitter water and sweet water should not be flowing from the same spring. We've got to watch what's coming out of our mouth. And that's what, what Paul is about to, to show us here. We talked last week about the importance of putting off falsehood and, and lying. We, we talked briefly about the, the word unwholesome. And that's where we're going to pick up tonight. He says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. That word let is really important. Because that tells me uh, that, that I have some control over what comes out of my mouth. Don't let, don't allow any unwholesome talk to come out of your mouth. So that tells me if something evil or nasty escapes from my mouth, it's because I let it escape. If words of death come out of my mouth, it's because I let them escape. I have the ability not to let them, or Paul would not have commanded me to not let any unwholesome words come out of my mouth. But more important than that, we need to ask ourselves how those words even got in us. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. We, we talked last week about that, how that word unwholesome meant rotten or corrupt. It expresses what is of poor quality. It means unfit for use. Oh, that, that tells me, if Paul is saying, don't let any words that are unfit for use come out of your mouth, that tells me that my words have use. That God gave me words for a purpose. That they really do create, but don't let them create what is unfit for use. It describes words that are worthless. In Paul's day, I said last week, unwholesome was the word to describe fish that had set out on the dock too long in the sun. It was a picture of decaying fruit, uh, fruit that, that, that had become, that it started to rot. And, and it's a picture of rottenness. It's a picture of, uh, of foul words, nasty words, unkind words coming out of our mouth. Things like gossip. Things like slander, things like backbiting and rumors, sarcasm, lies, profanity, criticism, cruel words, harsh words, unkind words, words that have no business in the mouth of a child of God. Words that are unfit for those who call themselves Christians. Do you know that the word Christian means little Christ? <laughs> I wonder. Do your words. If all I knew about you were the words that you speak, would your words identify you as a little Christ? Words. Don't let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth. You say, well, Rhea, that's not fair. I can't help what comes out of my mouth. It just pops out before I know it. And, uh, and uh, Well, Jesus tells us something different. In Matthew chapter 12, turn there if you can. Matthew chapter 12, 
verses 34 through 37. Jesus, and it's in red, he tells us that the words that are coming out of our mouth really reveal what's in our heart. He says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil out of the, the evil things stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty, idle, careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Another translation says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, so in other words, our, our nasty words, our unkind words, are really a heart issue, not a mouth issue. Ask any woman who's been betrayed. Ask any person who's been deeply hurt if her mouth issue is a heart issue. Her heart's been broken. Her heart's been stepped all over. Her heart's been done dirty. Is it any wonder that's what, what's coming out of her mouth is nasty? That's why we have to look at our heart. If what's coming out of our mouth, we need to do a heart inventory and say, where did that just come from? They're an expression of the nasty we have allowed access into our life, the place that we've given access to the devil. Don't give place to the devil. Can I ask you, what are you giving access to your life? My mama used to always say to me, Rhea, garbage in, garbage out. What you put in is what is going to come out of your life. And, and, and so can I just ask you, what are you allowing access to your life? What are you filling yourself up with? Mama used to say, Rhea, fill yourself up with so much Jesus that when the world bumps out into you, all that comes out is Jesus. What are you filling yourself up with? You, you see, we are vessels. Do you understand that, that we are a vessel of the Holy Spirit? Have you, have you heard that we're, we're vessels and vessels are containers. Containers are meant to hold things, to receive things. Are you with me? And so we're created as a vessel of God. Vessels of the Holy Spirit were, were meant to contain and to hold the Holy Spirit. But I'm telling you, it works the other way as well. When we receive and we hold on to unforgiveness, when we receive offense, when we receive hatred into our life, and we, we become a vessel that holds on to that, is there any wonder that what comes out of us, the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak? And so you show me somebody that has a nasty, unkind mouth. I will show you somebody who's been holding on to hatred or unforgiveness or offense or bitterness. Somebody who's critical, I promise you, they've been hurt, they've been betrayed, they've been done dirty. They are protecting themselves, but they have allowed place in their life for that stuff. They've received it. They've held on to it. That's why we need to be quick to forgive. We need to be quick to let go of the garbage because, you see, when we don't, we we're vessels, we're containers, and we take that stuff in lies. Some of you have accepted lies that have been spoken over you and you've held on to it and you've allowed it access to your container and you're storing those lies up and is there any wonder that out of the abundance of the mouth, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. You speak nasty. You speak defeat. I'm worthless. I'm not any good. It's because you're a container and you have held on to stuff you need to let go of. Get rid of it, Paul says. Get rid of it. It'll destroy you. It'll destroy you. 
the quality of the output of our life is determined by the quality of the input that we allow access to our hearts and our minds. What are you filling yourself up with? If you fill yourself up with self-pity, with hatred, with bitterness, with anger, with jealousy, it will spill out. He says, don't let any corrupt communication come out of your mouth. And, and, and you see, that word corrupt, I told you, meant rottenness. The other day, I wanted to get an apple out of our fruit bowl, and, and there was a rotten spot in one of them. And they all started to get rotten spots on them. Not because they were all rotten, but because there was one rotten apple that was left in that fruit bowl, and it started to contaminate all of them. See, when you allow any rottenness access to your life, oh, that person who did you dirty, that person who broke your heart, that person who... Who, who really didn't take good care of you when they should have, the person who dropped you when they should have carried you, they're not worth what you've allowed now access to your heart. Because that little bit of rottenness that you've opened yourself up to and you've allowed into your container will contaminate your whole life. It will. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. It's interesting, I, I really felt a nudge by the Lord to look up the word decay. And I'm like, Lord, I, I, I don't need to look up decay. I, I know what it means. And, and I just kept feeling this nudge. And so I went to the Webster's and I, I, I said, define decay. And this is what came up. A gradual decline in strength, in soundness, in prosperity. A gradual decline in degree of excellence or perfection. Man, did that get to me. Don't let any unwholesome, decay words come out of your mouth. I don't know. I just don't know if I can even describe it the way the Lord spoke it to me. But look at this. A gradual decline in strength or soundness or prosperity. I'm telling you, when you're nasty, when you're unkind, when you are full of bitterness and wrath, and anger. I promise you will have a gradual decline in strength and prosperity. When you let that stuff have access to your life, you will not prosper. You won't. You'll be miserable. You won't have the strength that you once had. You'll be defeated. You'll live in depression and despair. This is God's principle. When you allow that decay to come into you, that rottenness to come into you, it will do what my apple did and affect your whole life. When we spew those words on somebody else, a gradual decline in strength, in prosperity, in well-being. When I speak words over somebody, careless words, unkind words, nasty words, what does it do to their spirit? A decline in strength, in prosperity. I, I met with a woman this week, and she just had nothing positive at all to say about her husband. And I just watched him get smaller and smaller and smaller. And I thought to myself, you have such power at your fingertips to speak words of life into that man. And instead, it's a gradual decline in strength and in prosperity in his life because of what she was speaking to him.
So verse 30, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So words build up, and Paul is paralleling unwholesome words, words that tear down, with now words that build up. And, and it makes me think about the scripture that says, a wise woman builds her house, but a foolish one tears it down with her very own hands. I read this week Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18, and it says, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The words of the reckless pierce like swords. Have you ever heard of a reckless driver? What is a reckless driver? When somebody's reckless and they're driving, what is usually the problem? They're not paying attention, are they? They're, they're just careless. They're reckless. And, and I thought... The, the words of the reckless, somebody who is careless, who doesn't pay attention to what they're speaking, pierce like swords. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. And you see, we've got to begin, I have to begin, paying attention to the words that I'm speaking and not be careless, not be reckless with them. I, I need to stay alert and pay attention to them. The New King James translates this verse, but only what is good for the necessary edification. I like that. That word edification, it's a compound. If you miss everything else I say tonight, don't miss this. Edification is a compound word. Friday morning, people, you're going to get this. It's so good. It comes from two words, one meaning dwelling or house, and the second one meaning building or demo, to build. Are you with me? So to build a house. The word edification means to build a house. So when I edify Jolie, when I speak well of her, when I, when I speak words of life to her, I, I'm building a house. I'm viewing Jolie, and I'm building her. I'm strengthening her. Are you with me? But it also means demo. <laughs> Do you love those, what are those HGTV shows that, Leslie, you love to watch those? I love when they demo it. It's my favorite part. Is they just go in there with a sledgehammer, and they begin to demo the whole thing. They rip the whole thing out. And at first when I saw this, I thought, well, it must mean that my words can demo somebody. And then I thought, no. There are things that are in the people I minister to, in my children, in myself, that, that, that have been erected, that are wrongly erected, that have been erected through lies, through deceit, through careless, unkind words. And my words of life get to demo that, get to say, you know what, I, I know you believe this about yourself, but let me tell you who you are in Christ. Let me speak some truth over you. And I'm going to demo that garbage. I'm going to tear that thing down, and I'm going to build you back up with the truth of who you are in Christ. That's as good Good stuff. Is that not good stuff? That's the, kind, that's the kind of power that our words have. That word edification, it, it refers to the building process. The Greek definition is actually, listen to this, the act of one who promotes another's growth in Christian wisdom and piety and happiness and holiness. Wow. Paul was saying our words have the power to construct but they also have the power to tear down. And we need to understand that. Let me ask you, do the things you say benefit those who listen? Do they build up or they, do they tear down? He says, let it impart grace to the hearers. And I, I like that because grace is God's divine influence upon the heart. My words can impart grace. It can give God's divine influence upon a heart. Do you, do you see that? 
When people speak to you, do they walk away feeling like they've been smeared with grace? Or do they leave with a sense of God's love and power and presence? You see, our words have the power of life and death. They can destroy and they can heal and they must be used carefully. If I had a tube of toothpaste up here tonight and a paper plate and I squeezed that toothpaste out and Masha, I handed it to you and I said, can you put that toothpaste back in the tube? Not at all. You couldn't. And so once that toothpaste is out, it's nearly impossible to get put back into that tube. And that's the way our words are. Once they're out, it's nearly impossible to take them back. We need to be careful what we're speaking. We have to keep a lock over our lips. <clears throat> Believers are to speak good to others, to strengthen them, to instruct, to improve, to inform, to enlighten, and to uplift them. And I, I love this. But James, in, in his book, says, Consider how great a forest is set on fire by a small spark. Every time we speak, we need to be aware that a spark can fly out and ignite the lives of another person and bring destruction. James says, and I love, I love this, he goes on to say that our tongue corrupts the whole body. How many have seen that in the book of James where he says, our tongue corrupts our whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire and itself is set on fire by hell. I, I love that. I, I need to read it again. Our tongue corrupts the whole body. My, my tongue doesn't just corrupt Julie if I speak ill of her. My tongue corrupts my whole body. What I'm speaking about myself, what I'm speaking over others has the potential to bring sickness, to bring disease, to bring weakness, to bring despair and hopelessness. Our tongue corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire and itself is set on fire by hell. I, I was studying this this week and I, I went downstairs early in the morning and I flipped the, my gas, I have a gas log fireplace and I hit the switch and, and, and flipped on the fireplace and all of a sudden went whoosh like that. And, and, and I, I, when I went down, I could see the little pilot light was lit. It stays lit all year round. We never put it out because I use my fireplace year round. And, but the second I hit the switch, whoosh, it, it even made that noise. And this whole fire just burst into being because <laughs> that pilot light was lit. Paul is saying, look at that scripture. It says, our tongue corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and itself is set on fire by hell. You see, my mouth is like my fireplace. That pilot light is on all the time, ready to burst forth in flame. And, and the pilot light, the Bible says, the pilot light of my mouth, is set on fire by hell. You see, the devil is like that switch on the wall. He waits for a switch to be flipped. And then that pilot light goes whoosh. I was waiting for just the right thing to push her button to make her erupt in fire. For her mouth to just go forth with fire and ignite a whole forest. Ignite a whole life to do destruction. And, and that pilot light is sitting there burning in every one of our lives. That pilot light that's set on fire by hell. He's waiting for just the right moment for you to get that switch flipped. Somebody to say something to you. Somebody to push your right button. Dave said to me the other day, I was telling him about somebody that said something to me. And I came back like this. And he said, Rhea, 
you have got to learn to be a better actress. <laughs> and he said, don't give them that. Don't let them know they've got to you. He said, Rhea, whoosh, my fire goes. And the enemy waits. He waits for one person to say one thing to you so that it flips that pilot light and you whoosh. And then you say things you wish you hadn't said. And it's too late because one small spark out of that mouth can set a blaze of fire. Everything, look at this, I love it. James is very clear what feeds the fire of our mouth. It tells us where it originates when he says, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Everything that hell represents and everything that can be found in hell is trying to find expression in our words. Just like everything that heaven represents and everything that can be found in heaven is waiting to be found an expression in our words. That's why in this passage he says, don't give place to the devil. And then a few verses later he says, and don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You see, Paul understands what we need to understand. That at all the time in our life, there are two spirits operating. Two forces operating. A holy one and an unholy one. And they're both waiting to find expression in our mouth, in our life. Waiting to see which flip, which switch you'll flip to give expression to it. The enemy wants us to speak words that manifest the kingdom of darkness rather than the kingdom of light. And God wants us to speak words that manifest the kingdom of light. That's why Ecclesiastes 5, 6 says, don't make your, don't, look at this, don't let your mouth make you sin. Don't let your mouth make you sin. So Paul tells us how to do this when he continues down through verses 28 or 29, 30, and 31, and 32. And then he says, be imitators of God as, as dearly loved children. You see, I can let go of bitterness. I can let go of, of, of offense and pain. I, I don't have to get angry and rage about injustice and wrong in my life. I can be kind and compassionate to somebody I want to slap silly because I understand I am dearly loved by God. I understand that that I can imitate God. It's the only way to do it. Do you know that the word he uses for imitate, and I didn't write it down, so I can't even read it to you, but I promise you, it, it, this is something like it, like it is. <laughs> Lord, help me. But in, 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 in the Bible times, when this was being written, the Greeks had orators who, who they would study under. They, they would go and they would listen to somebody. Is it orator? Orator, orator, or Tate, maybe. <laughs> and they would go, and, and somebody who wanted to be an orator would, would study under that person. And they would sit there, they would listen to him over and over and over again, orate. Okay? And then they were told to just imitate that. To watch him, to look at his mannerisms, to listen to the, 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 the tone of his voice, to, to the inflection of his voice, and imitate it. And that's how they would become a good orator. Are you with me? 
It's the word he uses for imitate. He's like, I want you to study Jesus so much. I want you to imitate him. Even if you don't have the ability, just fake it till you make it. And I want you to just practice, 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 and do it, do it, do it. And before you know it, you're going to be acting just like him. But it's a choice, even when you don't feel like it. You want to slap them silly, but you know what? I'm learning under you, and I don't feel like this right now, but I'm going to imitate you, and I'm going to do it because you're really good at it. And so, Jesus, I'm just going to, I'm going to try it. And before you know it, you're going to be so good at it. It's a choice to imitate. It's a choice to imitate him. And, and, and so um, if my goal is to manifest the character of God, I do that by imitating him. So let's revisit that word edification. Paul is saying our words should be used to build people up. He says what, what is good for necessary edification. And I don't want you to miss that word necessary because that tells me that there is edification that isn't necessary. Do you know what I think that is? Flattery. That means in every conversation I have, every interaction I have with someone, I should be looking for where necessary edification is. See, this is what I see. And anybody that knows me knows that this is not what you're going to get with me. Oh, you poor thing. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that you had to live like that. And, you know, tell me about it. Can we just talk that through? And I'm really angry at that person because they did that to you. And how are we going to get them back? And this is what I think you should do. And I'm so sorry. How, how are you doing? That's not necessary edification. That's feel good. That will give you some temporary relief, but it won't give you long-term transformation that brings life. See, necessary edification sometimes is the hard stuff. The hard stuff. Leah and I were talking this week, and we're doing a conference for couples who are um, dealing with uh, sex addiction. And um, those are hard hard conversations because usually it's the wife, sometimes it's not, but usually it's the wife who's been deeply, deeply, deeply betrayed, wounded deeply, and the husband who has been dealing with a sex addiction. And, and, and we were talking about the, the conference that we're doing and how we have to come to a place where, you know, that, that woman, she has a right to be pitied. She has a, a right to be broken. She has a, a right to have a shoulder to cry on. But there comes a point where we have to say, you know what? He doesn't get to determine whether or not you're happy. He, he, he doesn't have the power to take your joy. You give it to him. He doesn't have the power to steal your peace. You surrender that. And, and I, I was saying to Leah, that's a really hard message to hear when you want coddled. When you want, and I said, so Leah, where is the balance there? Leah, can you actually come up here and, and get the mic? Because what you said, I was trying to, I was trying to, I was, 
rehashing it in my mind because it was so profound what you said. Because I, I said, I don't want people to say, well, that's spiritual abuse because you, you're not, you're, you're using the word of God to tell me I should forgive when, I, when I've been hurt deeply. And you're using the word of God to say that I should love my husband even when he has not loved me well. That really is kind of spiritual abuse. And Leah said, do you remember what you said? We were talking about, yes, but Rhea, you'll have people who are there with you who have seen this work. Because I, I said, I want to just say to these women, listen, dear one, I know it feels wrong. I know it feels hard to hear, but I promise you I've seen this work, and this is the only way to life. And if you could just believe me that this will actually work if you try it. And, and so Leah said, you have people that are going to be there. Well, and the goal of, we went, my husband and I actually went to secular counseling, and the goal that, that was presented to us was, was comfort, you know, and, and if you weren't comfortable in your situation, get out, and that's not what God's word's going to tell you, and he's going to challenge us to be outdo, that's where we, really, that's where I got the idea from, was what you were talking about last week, about outdoing one another in um, putting the other before yourself. And it's it's not a matter of not confronting the wrong things, but it's not condemning the other person. It's just being who you're supposed to be in Christ. And so um, I, I think what we were talking about is that um, there's going to be people that say, well, that's too hard. That's too hard. And that's where you got to get to the place where you really surrender to the Lord and say, in my weakness, you are strong. Because we're... God has the words of truth, and where else will you go? He has the words of truth. And so saying that he can't get you through that difficult time is, is it's, it's not okay. He, he says, in my weakness, you are strong, or in your weakness, I am strong. Mm -hmm. And I, I wish I could find the profound statement about all of that, but I just, I, I come into agreement with that, that God's ways do work, and the world is always going to try to oppose what God says works. And it leads to death. And his ways lead to life. And, and that's what I wanted to say. Because it is, that's the truth. And, and some of you come here on Monday nights and you're like, wow, that word is just too hard to hear. That's why we don't have a stacked crowd. You know, if I watered down my message, we could have a ton of people here every Monday night. But I would not be providing necessary edification. I'd provide another breast to, to nurse from and not, not words of life that will transform and strengthen you in your inmost man. And so I understand, trust me, I, I understand the message I preach is not an easy message, but I promise you with all of my heart that it's a message that works and that truly will transform a word. And so... Um, I am constantly aware when I'm talking to somebody, uh, even as they're talking to me and sharing, I'm thinking in my head, what are the necessary words for edification? What are the words that I'm not just going to throw a quick fix on them? What, what are the words that, that, that I, I don't just coddle them? What are the words that are going to build them? That's going to make, remember, the word edification is to build a strong foundation, to, to, to um, look at that, to promote another's spiritual growth. What are the words that I need to speak right now that's going to strengthen that temple of the Holy Spirit, that's going to make that person stronger in Christ? Turn over in your Bible to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3, and I promise I'm finishing. 
But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Uh, that's the same word that's used in Ephesians 4. That word prophesy means to, to be a prophet, to speak forth by divine inspiration. It, it means to utter forth, to declare a thing which can only be known by divine revelation. It means to teach to refute, to reprove, to admonish and comfort others. It's not our idea of prophecy. Some of us think our idea of prophecy is to say, can you stand up and, and I'm just going to prophesy over you. That's included in this. But I believe, I, I would tell you that I believe I'm a prophet. It's not because I can't call somebody to stand up and prophesy over them, but it's more so that I believe that when I preach, I utter the very words of God. I have labored before him to get that word. I believe I preach under divine inspiration. I, I believe that when I get up in this pulpit, you are going to hear the words of God. I believe it with all of my heart. And so if that word from 1 Corinthians is, is, but he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men, that means when I teach under the anointing by divine inspiration, I impart, I impart truth that will construct, that will build you into the strong temple that God wants you to be. And I take that very, very seriously. Remember the word edification means the act of one who promotes another's growth in Christian wisdom. So go back to Ephesians 4.29 and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. I, I, I really like that because there, there we're seeing don't give place to the devil. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We're seeing those both of those spirits in play here. But John Stott, and I like this quote. John Stott says, it's not clear why Paul now introduces the Holy Spirit. But the apostle was constantly aware that behind the actions of human beings, Vis invisible personalities are present and active. He just warned us to give no opportunity to the devil in verse 27. Now he urges us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. It's evident from this that the Holy Spirit is fully personal. For the word for grieve or uh, uh, lupeo is to cause sorrow, pain, distress, and only persons can feel these things. So Stott says, but what grieves him? Since he's the Holy Spirit, he's always grieved by unholiness. And since he's the one spirit, disunity will also cause him grief. There's so much to unpack there, and we don't have time to do it. But, but I just want you to grasp what John Stott says. He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit uh, of, of God who, of whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, malice, and slander. How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? I believe we grieve the Holy Spirit with our mouth. I've been in charismatic conferences where they'd say, oh, I don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Here's how you grieve the Holy Spirit of God. This right here. What comes out of our mouth grieves the Holy Spirit of God. He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, malice, and slander, and every form of criticism. That's how we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. That word grieve is lupeo. It, it's, it means to sadden. It means to distress. It's the same word that the disciples felt when they watched Jesus be crucified and beaten. They felt saddened. That's the word that's used. And he's saying that, that, the, that that's what we do to the Holy Spirit of God with our nasty, unkind, gossip-filled words. Think about that. 
So the, 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 this Holy Spirit is a person who can be grieved. We see the Holy Spirit is grieved because he's holy and he's grieved by unholiness. We, we see that he's one spirit and he's grieved by disunity. I'm telling you, I read you that scripture last week that talked about six things that the Lord hates, seven that he detests. And he detests a brother who brings disunity into the body of Christ. We have got to be careful with that. We've got to be careful. This gossipy stuff, this, did you hear about so-and-so and what they did? And I heard this about Grace Church. And that stuff has got to stop in the body of Christ. That grieves the Holy Spirit of God. It, it saddens him. And it's the it, six things the Lord hates, seven he detests. He detests it. The brother who sows disunity in the body of Christ. I don't know where that came from, but we're just going to park there for a little bit. But, so don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, malice, and slander. Look at that. Get rid of it. Um, I, I want to read it to you in the Amplified. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, perpetual animosity, resentment, strife, fault-finding, and slander be put away from you, along with every form of malice, all spitefulness, all verbal abuse. Let that be put away from you. That word all, let get rid of all bitterness. That means all without exception. That means that we don't have the one exception that we have a right to be bitter about. The, the word bitterness there, I'll just read these definitions for you very quickly. The settled hostility that poisons the whole inner man, Warren Wearsby says. The Greeks defined it as long-standing resentment. A spirit that refuses to be reconciled. A spirit that refuses to be reconciled. Long-standing resentment. Do you know that the word resentment, I, I teach this with the, the women who have been betrayed, it is resentment is resentment. When I resend that, that offense, that pain, over and over and over in my mind, that builds resentment. It's what happens when we hold on to offenses and we nurse our injuries and insult, insults that we don't immediately let them go. It sets in when someone hurts you or when someone injures you and you fail to forgive them. It's the spirit that says, you hurt me and I'm not going to forget it. I'm not going to forgive you. The word defines a settled hostility that poisons the whole inner man. It's when somebody does something we don't like and we harbor ill will against them. I really like this one. The Expositor's Bible Commentary says, It is the spite that harbors resentment and keeps a record of wrongs. Wearsby says, An unforgiving spirit is the devil's playground, and before long it becomes the Christian's battleground. If somebody hurts us, either deliberately or unintentionally, and we do not forgive him, and we begin to develop bitterness within which hardens the heart, it's because we've chosen not to be tender-hearted and kind, but rather we've been hard-hearted and bitter. He says, actually, we're not hurting the person who hurt us. We're only hurting ourselves. Bitterness in the heart makes us treat others the way Satan treats them when we should treat others the way God has treated us. So I'm, I'm just going to say this as gently as I can. If you're sitting here tonight bitter, it's no one's fault, dear one, but your own. Because you see, Paul says, put off and put on. Put off that old soiled garment and put on the new one. 
And the new one is tenderhearted. The new one is forgiving. The new one is compassionate towards that person who hurts you. The old one, the stinky one, is bitter, full of hatred, full of rage, full of anger, full of spite and malice. And, and we have a choice what we put on. I hate being dirty. If I spilled coffee on my sweater before I came here, I would have to go home and change it before I came here because I don't like to be dirty. And, and so we have a choice when we get soiled. When somebody hurts us and that thought comes back into our mind, they did this to me and I'm pretty ticked off, we have a choice to say, mm-mm, that's going to soil my whole life. That's going to spread rottenness through my whole life. It's going to make everything decay in me. I am putting that thing off and I'm putting on tenderheartedness, compassion, and forgiveness. Wrath. Wrath is if, if bitterness isn't given a death blow, it leads to wrath. Wrath is the explosion on the outside of the feelings that are on the inside. Explosion, explosive anger or outbreaks of passion. It's anger that blows up quickly and then subsides. Um, it wells up in your whole spirit and then bursts out. Anger is a little different. Anger refers to an inner deep resentment that seethes and smolders. It's anger that has become habitual. It's not a burst of anger, but rather to settle pattern of anger. Somebody came to Billy Sunday uh, and tried to rationalize her angry outburst when he was preaching on this passage. And she said, there's nothing wrong with losing my temper. She said, I blow up and then it's all over. And Billy Sunday said, so does a shotgun. And look at the damage it leaves behind. <laughs> so we need to get rid of and be purposeful about getting rid of all bitterness and rage and anger. Brawling and slander. That word brawling, it means... Um, Clamor, it, it means fault finding, it means perpetual animosity or resentment or strife. It's when things get loud. McDonald says loud outcries of anger, brawling, angry bickering. Have you ever been with a couple that just bickers and you just want to say, stop, that's ugly, just stop it. I was at a uh, restaurant, and this little old man and lady were sitting near me, and he had a hat on, and she just kept saying, take off your hat. Why are you wearing the hat? And, and finally he said, nag, nag, nag. If I want to wear a hat, I'll wear a hat. And I thought, that's, that's uh, resentment that's been there for a long time. <laughs> Slander and evil speaking, that refers to verbal abuse against someone. Uh, can I tell you, can I remind you who is the slanderer, who's the accuser? That's the devil. And so when we wear this garment, we, we look like him, we act like him. It's speech which seeks to wound somebody's reputation by evil reports or evil speaking. It's abusive speech against someone by telling lies or otherwise offending them. They're words spoken to hurt or smite the reputation of another. It, it means to destroy or discredit another good, another's good name by speaking evil against it, against them. It's interesting to me that the Life Application Bible refers to gossip as passive slander. Guys, I'm telling you, we have to start looking at this stuff in our life. See, we, we talk about people to another person like it's no big deal. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. And we have to decide to put that stuff off in our life. Evil speaking are words that injure, words that tear down instead of build up. And then malice is a catch-all word. It, it really means whatever else that we do with our mouth that wasn't included here. 
It means ill will. It means a desire to injure another one. It means wickedness that's not ashamed to break God's law. It conveys the idea of a mean-spirited or vicious attitude or disposition. Malice desires to hurt another person and rejoices in it. Really likes to see another person suffer. So in closing, I just want you to turn over real quickly to this. Romans 1, 28 through 32. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God. See, this is what happens when we don't see fit to acknowledge God and his word. When we say, God, I know your word says that, but I'm not going to acknowledge it. I'm not going to obey it. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a deprived mind, depraved mind, to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, that's this word, malice, greed, envy, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. He says all of those things come because you refuse to acknowledge God and his word. Paul says these things can no longer be a part of our life. We need, they're dirty diapers from last week, and we need to get rid of them. We need to, to discard them. And he said, and here's what you need to do instead, verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ and God forgave you. I'm just going to go through it very quickly. That word kind means fit for use or useful, means able to be used, to be gracious. That means when I am kind and I'm gracious to Masha, God can really use me. Be kind. Be tender-hearted. I pray this word for, for my grandsons every single day. I say, Lord, give them a tender heart. I'm asking you that they be tender-hearted before you. I, my, Alton, you should see Alton. He is the biggest boy you have ever laid eyes on. His daddy's almost 6'6". Six, six. His mom is what, 6'1 or 6'2", Dave? She, they're big. <laughs> and Alton is going to take, take after them. There's no doubt about it. That boy looks like a football player. And I said, Lord, thank you so much that you're making him tender-hearted. That he might be a massive man someday, but he's going to have the most tender heart of anybody around. And that's the word I pray right there. It means tender. It means tender hearted. It means compassionate. It means they have a good heart. God wants us to have a good heart towards people. He wants us to be compassionate towards people. And I want you to see, he says, be kind. That word be, I love this. This is like, oh, this is, I could park here all night. It means to bring into existence or become. It's an interesting position picture because it means bringing kindness into another's existence. The word in the Greek really means becoming kind. That's so great because here's what I love. I'm not always kind, but I'm becoming kind. I'm a little more kind every day. Uh, I, I, it's coming into existence in my life because I'm willing it. And, and I'm tender-hearted. I'm becoming tender-hearted. Every single day I chose to do that instead of being angry and, and full of rage. I am becoming. I'm bringing it into existence. I, I love it. I love it. Oh, I just have so many, 
so many good quotes and so many great things. I'd love to tell you about that, but I won't. So he says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ and God forgave you. That word forgive is interesting. It means to do something pleasant or agreeable, to do a favor to somebody, <laughs> to grant forgiveness or pardon, to give graciously, to graciously restore one to another. It means to release them from a debt they owe you because you realize they can never repay you. They have offended you to a point they can never come back and repay you for what they've done to you. So you choose to, in Jesus to release them from that obligation. And we do that, the Bible says, just as Christ and God forgave you. That's a marker. On Friday morning, we study this all the time. It's a marker of cause or reason. It, it, it means these are the reasons. This is the cause or the reason you need to forgive. Because guess what, big guy? You have been forgiven by Christ. And you weren't even sorry. <laughs> and you keep doing it over and over just like you accuse that person of. And, and we need to do it just as Christ at God has, has forgiven us. And then he finishes by saying, and walk in love. Imitate God and walk in love. Leah, that's peripateo, by the, word, by the way. Peripateo is one of Leah and my favorite words. It means to make progress. It means to, to make due use of one's opportunity. <laughs> Live a life of love. I'm going to make due use of this opportunity to love you well. I'm going to make progress because I'm going to be a better lover next year this time than I am now because I'm constantly making progress in walking in love. I'm, I, I'm, I, I am, I'm progressing in the way I love. And it's in the present imperative, which means it's a, it's a command to be continually living a life of love. Guess what that word love is? Agape. It's a self-sacrificial love, looking for nothing in return. So I love you and you're nasty back to me? Tough. I'm agapeing you. I'm looking for you to give me nothing in return. I am going to sacrifice myself to love you well. Because God tells me that's the way to life. It, it isn't built on attractiveness. It's not built on a feeling. Agape love is an act of the will. I'm going to will myself to love you. I might not feel it, but I'm going to will it. Because God lives within me and he will love you well through me. And I do that because God first loved me. It's an unconditional self-sacrificing love. You say, Rhea, I don't like that because I'm going to get hurt in this. Really? Do you not know how big your God is? And when you walk in obedience to his word, he fights your battles for you. He says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Give place to God's wrath. Just like give place to the devil. Give place to God's I'm getting out of the way so you can get in. I'm giving place for that. But if I strike back and I don't love you well and I don't, I, don't, I don't ooze love and I don't forgive freely, then I've made room for it, the wrath in my life because I'm disobeying God. Do you see it? But instead, I'm going to love well. I'm going to do what God tells me to do and I'm going to make room. <laughs> make room for the wrath of God. So I could just have so much stuff I want to tell you, but I won't. I'm going to ask Megan to come, and I know it's late, so if you have to leave, just go ahead and leave quietly. But I'm mindful 
that every week I preach and I don't give you an opportunity to flesh out what I preach. And so I'm just going to take a few more minutes and, and I'm going to just go over that list one more time. And I'm just going to ask you if there's anybody here who would say you have given place to the devil, that you have grieved the spirit by letting bitterness in your life, they have a bit of wrath that this explosive anger pops up occasionally and burns out. Or maybe you just have that habitual place of anger. You're just mad at everything and everybody. Maybe you like to clamor where you get loud and get heard and then you are fine. Maybe you're gossip. The Bible says gossip is choice morsels. It's tasty. It feels good when you're doing it. Maybe you slander people. Maybe you slander God. Maybe you haven't been very forgiving and you've kept a record of wrongs. Maybe you haven't loved well. I don't know. Can you find yourself on this list? I, I would have a hard time believing that any of us couldn't find ourselves on this list at some point in our life. And so I'm going to ask you to stand, and while Megan plays, I, I just want to pray for you. And I'm just asking you to just take a moment. I won't pray long. I'm just asking you to do an inventory of your heart, an inventory of your life. Father, I'm just asking right now that you ever so gently just go through this room and you put your finger on things in our lives, Lord, that you want to clean up. Bring to mind, Lord God, careless words that we've spoken, things that have been said and done in anger, Lord God resentment that we keep sending messages over and over in our mind about. Maybe we're so angry, Lord, we, we can't even force ourselves to be kind because there's so much to be angry about, so betrayed, so hurt, Lord God, so disappointed in people. Lord, I'm aware that there are people here who could feel like they were just done so dirty and that they've had no choice but to protect themselves with their anger. I thank you, Lord, that you are our, you're our protector, that you're our defender, that you are our very present help in times of trouble that when, when we call, you will answer and you will tell us great and mighty things that we don't even know. And I'm asking, Lord, right now that you would grant revelation of those circumstances. Lord, those areas of pain, those areas of, uh, of heartache, of, uh, of, of just hurt, Lord God, that have just found a settled place in our heart. 
I pray, Lord God, that you would just put your father finger on those areas, that you, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer, would just bring healing, Lord, into those areas of, of woundedness, of hurt, Lord God. Lord, for those who have been betrayed and hurt so deeply, Father, I pray that you would let them know that, that they're just transferring from record books, from their record book to yours, giving it to the one who judges all men justly. It doesn't say that what happened to them was right, Lord God. It just transfers it to your record book and trusts you to do the right thing. Lord, I'm reminded of the scripture that says, judgment without mercy will be shown to those who judge without mercy. Father, I pray for those who have made judgments about people without mercy. That they've been quick to judge. Lord, you tell us that when we do that, we will be judged. We put ourselves in a place where we will then be judged without mercy. So, Lord, right now, I pray that even throughout this room, you begin nudging people, Lord, in all of those areas that we just talked about to just begin to repent, Lord God. For, repent for careless words. Repent, Lord God, for, for, for words that have been spoken in haste and, and, and worthless words, unkind words, harsh words, gossip words, critical words. Lord, words that have no business in the mouth of a child of God. Lord, we repent of them now in the name of Jesus. We're taking off that garment. We're removing that soiled garment, Father. We don't want that mouth anymore. Lord, your word says it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Lord, we don't want to be kind to the people who have hurt us because we don't want to give them power. And yet, your word says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Oh, Lord God, I pray for kindness to just begin to well up within each one of us. I pray, Lord, that we would learn to live a life of love, that we would make progress in that area, that it would become every occasion we have would be an occasion to be kind, to be tender-hearted and compassionate and merciful. I read a quote, Lord, that said, you aren't tender-hearted because you don't have enough information. You're tender-hearted because you have all the information. You understand things. And Lord, I'm asking right now for those who are here and who are struggling with forgiving, who are struggling with loving well, who are struggling, Lord, being tender-hearted and compassionate, I pray, Lord God, that you would give them a supernatural revelation to see people through your eyes. Lord God, that they would see the, 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 the people who have offended them, the people who have hurt them, the people who have done them dirty through your eyes, Lord God, and that in exchange for that, that they could be tender-hearted towards them understanding, Lord God, their brokenness through your eyes. For those who are saying, I have a right to hold on to this, Lord God. And I'm not going to let go of this. I, I pray that tonight, Lord, that you'd pry that thing out of their hands that they could release it, which is what the word forgive means, to cut loose, to release that offense, that pain, that heartache, Lord God, into your capable hands. 
that they would not be tied to that thing through unforgiveness any longer, Lord. That they would forgive just as Christ and God forgave us. Search, Lord God. Search hearts. Search memories. Pray for those who have tallied very clearly a record of wrongs done to them, against them. I pray that they'd see that stamp of heaven coming down that says, paid in full. Tetelestai, it is finished. That sin debt is finished on the cross of Calvary. is to cancel a debt that really can't be repaid anyway. Give them courage to cancel it, Lord. Urge, Father, their heart of any pain, any heartbreak, any heartache, pain of the betrayal, the loss, the disappointment, urge, Lord. Release them, Lord, from bitterness and anger and rage. Fill them afresh and anew, Lord God, with your sweet Holy Spirit. Breathe new life, Lord God. Breathe new life. Life-giving power into them, Lord. The time of mourning, I heard him say it, the time of mourning is over. Joy comes in the morning. It's time for joy. It's time for joy. I have a sense he's, he's breathing new life. And joy is coming. It's coming. It's time. It's the morning. Take off those grave clothing. And receive that joy that's unspeakable and the peace that passes all understanding. You don't have to stay in that place of defeat. You don't have to stay in that place of brokenness. Breathe new life, Lord, into them. Pray for a wellspring of life. Springs of living water to just rush over them now. Healing power, Lord. Lastly, Lord, for those who would say, I've given place to the devil. I've given him a place to act in my life. And I'm taking it back tonight. If that's you, I, I want you to just tell the Lord 
that you repent of coming into agreement with the enemy in, in your life. You repent of believing his lies. You repent of coming into agreement that that person deserved not to be forgiven. That that person deserved your wrath. That that person deserved your anger. That you deserved your anger. I want you to repent of that tonight. Tell the Lord you're sorry. And then come into agreement with Him. With the Lord of Lords. Who says, forgive because I have forgiven you. Love because I have loved you. Be merciful because I've been merciful to you. Be compassionate because I have been compassionate to you. I'm putting that garment on, Lord. And by an act of faith, I'm removing the other one. I'm not going to wear it anymore. I'm not wearing self-pity anymore. I'm not wearing hatred anymore. I'm not going to accuse anymore. I'm not going to slander anymore. I am not going to lie anymore. I'm putting those things off tonight. I'm laying down my bitterness tonight. I want you to destroy the record of wrongs I've been keeping. Lord, Consume it with your all-consuming fire. And now, Lord, I ask that you just sweep. You sweep this room with joy that's unspeakable. Permeate lives with peace that passes all understanding. I pray that you be a burden bearer, that burdens would be lifted that have been, been, been weighing down people for years. I pray that tonight the burden bearer would lift those burdens off of people. The bondage breaker would break through bondages and strongholds that have tried to keep people tied to offense, to wrongs, to pain, to heartache, to abuse, to neglect, to abandonment. Oh, Lord God, break those bondages. Those chains can't hold them any longer. And wrap them in your everlasting arms. Your arms of love, Lord God, I pray you cradle them tonight. I'm asking for encounter in this place, Lord God. Encounter that changes and transforms life. This, this message was not about information, Lord God. It's about reformation. I pray a reformation would start tonight that transforms your people, that transforms me, Lord God. That we leave this place, Lord God, loving well, forgiving freely, being tender-hearted and compassionate, if for no other reason than we're trying to imitate you, Lord. Teach us and instruct us in the ways of righteousness, I pray. 
in Jesus' name. Amen.